Hi, and welcome to iloveedmontonrealestate.com. I'm your host, Jason Scott, and with me today are Glenn and Angie Iwanchuk. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi there. Okay, Glenn and Angie are realtors with Remax Excellence here in Edmonton. Tell me, uh, how long have you been realtors for? I've been a realtor since 2007, so just shy of 12 years. And I was in 2010, so I'm coming up to nine years here in July. Okay. How do you work your business as a husband and wife team? Well, it works quite well because, first of all, we've split up the duties. And so Glenn is responsible for the front end of the I clients. I do all the uh, face-to-face uh, meeting the clients, showing properties, that type of thing. And I get to do all of the searching, paperwork, and setting up client meetings. Okay. Gotcha. Are there any awards or recognitions uh, the two of you receive have received as realtors? In 2015, I got my what's called the Remax Hall of Fame Award, mm-hmm. and we consistently do the Platinum Award. And through the Real Estate Association, I have been consistently in the top 5% of realtors. What are the two of you seeing these days in terms of trends in the market in the Edmonton and surrounding area? Well, the market has been a little bit slower. We do see a little bit of an increase right now just being spring. So a lot more activity with new listings. Um, With buyers, basically the stress test for mortgages has put a little bit of stress on the buyers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's made it more difficult to qualify. Yeah. So what sort of feedback are you getting from your buying clients when they're out you know, shopping and then running up against the limitations of the stress test? Well, it's that combination along with so many properties being on the market today, mm-hmm. which have, there's like a lot of substandard properties being listed for sale where the buyers are expecting more. So it makes our job a lot harder to find them something they like because we got to basically sift through all the things that they don't want. And photos are very deceiving when you see a listing online that has been up for 210 days. It doesn't look like the day the photos were taken, if you know what I'm saying. Okay. What sort of things are they seeing that, you know, makes them not want to pursue specific properties? Just lack of maintenance and, you know, the condition of the properties and, it could be the neighbor that's not very tidy with their property or things like that, that it just wasn't what they expected. Okay. So my thing with them is if this place is not for you from walking up the driveway, then don't try and sugarcoat it and make it work for you because we can find you something else that, that you're going to like as soon as you pull up the yard. Yeah, know? or locations of right. the homes. Could be in front of a very busy street. Power bus. line. You know, these are the things that maybe they don't realize when they're looking online and then they come to the home and a bus seems to go right at the exact moment and then just (laughs) decide that that's not for them. Yeah. Okay. Is it a question right now where maybe there's a little bit of uh, analysis paralysis because there's so much selection on the market for buyers? Yeah. They think that basically another problem too is they come into the property and think that they can lowball a home, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what the list price is, they think that they can get it for much, much less. Because someone has told them, you know, it's a buyer's market, and, and people are desperate. But but that's not always the case. So so, can you give me like an example of a situation you've had like that recently with like dollar amounts? Yeah, when we evaluate a 
property and put it for sale, we give the best advice that we can where the property should sell. And where we say it should sell to where we should list it are very close together. We don't say we can always come down because that is the worst thing you can do in this market. So a lot of properties are priced 30000 40000 higher than they're actually worth. Maybe not for the reason that people are trying to get more. That may be what they need to pay off their mortgage or whatever. So when we have a listing that's say at 365,000 that should sell at 358, we're getting offers of 325. They're unrealistic. So, And what's the justification from the buyers for making that kind of an offer? Our uh, opinion on that is we're always willing to share how we get our evaluation and our number from the comparable sales that were most comparable to the subject property that we have. And their idea is just, uh, well, maybe that's all we can afford. Or they're shopping for something that they're not qualified for and thinking that they can get at 30000 less. They might be only approved for three hundred, and they're still shopping in the three sixty range. And an example is we have a property listed at two sixty right now where we just got an offer of two hundred, <laughs> And it should sell for the two fifty five to two fifty seven range. And I mean the seller may be willing to go to two fifty, you know, just to get away from it, but not going to go down to 200 if you know what i mean yeah well i mean it's such it's a massive difference as a percentage you know obviously realtors have to respect their clients wishes so if Mm -hmm. if someone wants to write an offer at two hundred thousand dollars you've got to do it yeah we still Uh, have to present it yeah but the realtor should be giving the advice and they come armed with the same information that we gave our clients to make that list price as well So it should be almost like, um, here is what we should be offering. And sometimes, you know, to get the property for less, you should be giving more. Right. For example, their offer should have started at 240 or 245. Right. Because you're a seller. If you get a $60,000 lowball on the offer. Yeah. And then what happens? Yeah. Then they say, we're not selling. Right. And they close that door and they don't even want to work with that person. And that becomes a huge problem too, because that might be a property that they absolutely love and they think that they can get it for cheap but then ultimately they don't even want to be dealt with and you almost end up paying probably close to list price Mm -hmm. you know because the seller gets upset and then you become at a standstill nobody wants to move Mm -hmm. now glenn a couple of minutes ago you said the worst thing you can do is you know you start off at a higher list price and then drop the listing price right why is that the worst thing because Every property that gets listed has what's called a a history, like an MLS history. So if someone can go in and see that it's been listed for the third time and you're dropping it by 10,000, 20,000. So now you have buyers that go, these people really need to sell. They're getting desperate. So we can probably go another 10 or another 20 down. And if a property is overpriced, it's just going to become stale on the market. You've seen listings for 200, 280 days, and those are the listings that are going to receive those low ball offers, especially. Now, if they would have priced that property right off the bat, accordingly to what it was going to sell for, 
it shouldn't have been on the market technically longer than 57 days is right. what our average is right now. Okay. All right. So really, you're only delaying your sale and hurting yourself if right. you're coming in too high, ultimately, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it could be just ten or $20,000 too much. And number one, you're not going to get any activity. And then by the time you bring it down to where it should be, your window of opportunity for the activity is long gone. Right. So no one wants to come and see it because it's been on the market for 135 days already. So something must be wrong with this property is what people's mindset is, right? Especially a buyer. Yeah. So we are in the spring market right now. What sort of feel do you get for the activity levels right now? I think it's improving. I think everybody has the mentality that they had to wait for spring. So that's why you see the number of listings that have come up just even in the last month mm-hmm. um, because everybody seems to have that opinion and even people when we're talking to sellers they say oh should i wait till spring but we also remind them that houses do sell 12 months of the year mm-hmm. so sometimes waiting for the spring market you also have a lot of competition and that's what we find right now is you have to be super competitive Mm-hmm. On the listing side or on the buying side? On the listing side. Okay. And now on the buying side, you have lots of choice. But again, you know, you have to go into it and make sure what is out there is relevant. Yeah. You know, if you're, but you have to definitely shop in your price range too. Because if you over shop and you try and find the property that is in the right price range, those homes are much different. Mm-hmm. And that's what we find too. And that's why it's really important to be pre approved. Yeah. And know your number. Yeah. Are you running into any multiple offer situations? Lately, no. Okay. But us personally have not run into multiple offers, but the ones that we have heard about and that we've had before were getting under list price, but it was like favorable conditions is what we were choosing. Right. Oh, okay. So you had a listing and then you were to get the multiple offers. Yeah. I only bring it up because I've had a couple of uh, my clients Mm -hmm. uh, this spring where their realtor contacts me and says, Hey Jason, you know, let's get rolling on the mortgage, but be aware there's backup offers, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Okay. So no one grows up going, I'm going to be a realtor when I grow up. How do you end up becoming realtors? Well, we had a automotive accessory business for 16 years prior to being real estate agents. And when we bought our own house, a good fellow by the name of Mike Kaziki was our agent. And he would be a client at our business on a regular basis with his cars. And I'll let Angie tell you the rest here. He had come into our store one day and he had seen me sitting at my desk because we were shop owners and basically he just looked at me one day and said what exactly would you like to do and I said well Mike this is obvious I have a small business and this is what I am doing and he says no I think you want to do something else I can see it in you and he convinced her to go to real estate school and work for him. And that's how I got my start. Okay. So I just simply told him, yeah, I actually want to do what you're doing. That was always a passion of mine, but I just never really shared it Mm -hmm. because I always thought I could not do it. But he convinced me that 
anybody can do it. Mm -hmm. It is possible. Even if you have a dream, follow it. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I did. So you entered the business and then uh, you continued on with the automotive business for yes. a few years? Um, Angie was kind of double dipping for the first <laughs> couple of years. That's a good thing, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> but we found um, she was uh, taking time away from the business, uh, doing the real estate. And then I found being her security guard uh, for her business in real estate. So I said, you know what? Someday when we grow up, we'll have this business sold and I will both become realtors. And we just said we would never sell the business. It was kind of a joke uh, to say we would even sell it. But one day someone came to us and approached us to purchase it. So that was our opportunity to get my license and become a real estate team. Okay. Since then, that's what we've done. Excellent. And when you say you were being her security guard, you would go to appointments? Yes. With for, me. Yeah. For uh, showing sign calls, that type of thing. It's... I don't know how the lady agents go out and take that risk every day because you hear of it happen rarely, but it's... Uh, it can be scary. It can be scary. If you don't know the client, if you haven't met the client and you're just going to meet someone at a vacant home or something like that, it's... I just wouldn't, you know, let her do that. So I would go with her. Gotcha. That makes sense. Whether I waited in the car or I was just the... Security guard. Yeah. yeah. So Angie, was there a particular instant after you made the transition to real estate where you were like, oh, this is amazing. This is why I want to be a realtor. Yeah. And why I also became a realtor is we had been searching for a home and it was actually an acreage and we had looked for a few years. We already had our home in the city, but we wanted to make the transition to an acreage. So basically before I was an agent, that's what, what my job was. I was always searching and looking and we were going after work and looking. And we found every time we called an agent off the sign that, you know, it didn't really work because they weren't listening to our needs. They weren't really listening to what we actually wanted. And, and that's where it would end. They wouldn't really follow up or anything like that. So basically what happened was we ended up losing a couple of homes that we really, really loved. That was 2005 when okay. things were heating up and we were really interested in uh, having our own acreage close to the city. And our instructions to the agent were to go in a little higher because we were in a multiple offer. And she says, no, nope, we're going to get it. I just know we're going to get it. You don't need to go higher. And we lost that property by $5,000. And we said the only way we're going to find the property of our dreams is if we represent ourselves. So after losing a couple of dream homes, you know, you understand that feeling. And we always said, you know, we'd never let that happen to somebody where we weren't listening to their needs. And I think that's one of the key parts of our team is when we meet a client, we sit down with them, we ask them, what are you looking for? And we're very, very careful in what they're telling us because that's key. Mm -hmm. Because if we're not listening, we're going to yeah. be having somebody who's disappointed. Right. We're not selling cars. I tell everybody that. We're selling homes that you're going to make payments on for the rest of your life. So it, you better be happy with it. You yeah. know, or I feel responsible for that. Yeah. Well, and obviously, you know, the uh, 
emotional attachment to a home is a whole lot different mm-hmm. than a vehicle, right? Exactly. Definitely. It shouldn't be a pressure situation either. It has to be the right fit because if it's not, it's not going to work. Yeah. We're never being a salesperson when we're working with a buyer. We have to be salesperson when we're working for a seller, you know, to describe all the great features of the listing that we have. But when we're working for a buyer, we just become the best advocate that we can be and look for all the reasons that they shouldn't buy a property. And they're looking at all the reasons that they love about the home. But when I go in with them, I'm the guy looking for all the reasons they shouldn't buy that house just to protect them. Mm -hmm. One of the major types of clients that you work with are first-time buyers. Are there any special needs or do you have a special approach with first-time buyers? Yes, we actually really enjoy first-time buyers because we have a really good system that we use every single time. We first, we like to meet with the clients, sit down with them in a casual, comfortable situation where they don't feel like it's pressure. We usually just meet them for coffee. Yeah. We don't drag them into our office and make them feel like they're in the principal's office. We like to go where they want to go, whether it's a Starbucks, Tim Hortons, McDonald's. It doesn't matter if it's even at their own place that they live now. But we will let them know how things work from the day we start looking at homes to the day that you're going to get their possession day. So the education for a first-time buyer is is so important that they know what the steps are. You know, and I I usually talk about money first. Where is your money coming from? Is it from mom and dad? Is your deposit ready? How much are you willing to spend? Do you have a little bit of a buffer? All of those things should be discussed right in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then they basically tell us their wish list. And then that gets communicated with us and that's how we set up our searches and once we know the number that they're good to go for then we start looking for the homes that they can see themselves in by just them telling us what they're wanting okay and so for your first time home buyers are they looking more towards single family homes or are they more uh, these days aiming towards half duplexes townhouses apartment condos Because of the qualifications, we see more people getting into like the cheaper single family homes. Okay. So older homes in in more mature neighborhoods. Yeah, that's right. Because, well, first of all, most of them want a nice yard and an older neighborhood with trees and stuff like that. That's the people that we generally get buyers for, right? And when we're looking in these neighborhoods, we get all of that. We get like a nice big yard, a little bit bigger home. You know, Something yeah, it they does can work, work on over but, the years. Yeah. But it'll you know, build the investment up. Builds their equity. Gotcha. Okay. What's the most frustrating day you've had in real estate? Either ever or in the last year? Your well, choice. This is kind of a good one. I mean, when I talk about first-time buyers, this is why I go through the steps with them. Where is your money coming from? Who are your influences? I had this young couple working with them for about two months, showing them possibilities, things they like. We finally came across a home that was perfect for them. So excited. Mom and dad want to come and we want to go see that house again. Well, mom and dad arrive and say, what are you guys thinking? This needs this. It needs this. It needs this. 
They're asking way too much for this house. There's no way in the world you're buying this place. So that becomes super frustrating for us because after looking at 15 previous properties, which were not a match and needed far more work than that home, we say, now mom and dad, if you're influencing them to buy or not to buy, I need you to come shopping with us every time we're going out to look for homes <laughs> so that that's frustrating when you do all the work and yeah and you hit a, a roadblock there where the buyers are so excited you're finally relieved that you know you found them something that they're really gonna like and then mom and dad come and axe it all for them yeah so it's okay to have extra cooks in the kitchen just Absolutely. yes start at the very beginning of the uh, and the that's process. one of our key questions yeah. who's going to be joining us on showings yeah. because it's really essential from that day forward that was another yeah. question that got asked <laughs> and then i i put know. that into my buyer presentation for the reason that is why mom and dad need to come and see all the houses because guess what? Then they go and look at all the houses after and they say, well, that, that one you said was really good. And then we go back to it and it's gone. Yeah. So that's really, really essential to have that discussion. Yeah, for sure. Has there been anything recently, any uh, hiccups with financing? Because, of course, the financing side of things has gotten much, much more difficult and, and stringent. Well, yes. when we work with our own buyers, we make sure that they're approved in advance. Mm -hmm. But when we're working with a seller, I think last year we stopped counting at seven where our seller had to be told that the deal is collapsed because the buyer for your property did not get financed. They can't get their financing in order. And that's very devastating for a seller to hear that because they don't understand why, because their first question is why are they not pre-approved? So they don't really understand that some of the approvals are very soft approvals and they get all the way to the part where it should be getting a waiver, which means the property is sold. You're giving them devastating news. And, and they're asking not. you for a three-day extension and you just know that something is not right. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that we noticed from just in the last few months, that we need to have stronger approvals and so that we don't have to give that Horrible news to the seller. Yeah, and I mean an approval, you know, Jason's always based on the property itself as well. So oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, a pre-approval, a proper pre-approval, you have is, your is documentation. Appraisal. Well, a proper pre-approval before someone goes shopping is they are giving their mortgage broker or the banker their pay stubs, their job letter, their proof of their down payment, right? So we're not waiting on HR to get them some letter. Well, it's not even that. It's that, you know, sometimes what people say and what reality is are two different things. And often through no fault of their own, they don't, the buyer doesn't understand sort of the intricacies involved in if they were self-employed or how overtime income exactly. works, et cetera, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. mm -hmm. Okay. If you were to look at, say, your last 10 closings, whether it's a you were on the listing side or on the buyer side, has there been any trends over the last couple of months that you've seen? I think, again, just to basically say about the pricing, we've noticed a decrease in the price and that people have to understand that if you are getting the multiple offer like we talked about before it doesn't mean that it's going to be over list like it was before that's one thing that we have definitely noticed 
we just need to make sure that if you are getting a multiple offer that we're proceeding with the one with far more favorable conditions. Right. So either the closing date matches or Or there's no finance condition. Right. That's the biggest one. Yeah. Or tighter dates too. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Now, I mean, obviously you help people in and around the Edmonton area, but let's say you had relatives across the country and you weren't going to go represent them because uh, obviously you don't know the market, etc. How would you tell your relatives what advice would you give them in terms of determining whether or not they're working with a good agent or how do, would they find a good agent? Well, when we refer someone to work with a client of ours or a family of ours or a friend of ours, we take it on ourselves to do that background check of these agents first mm-hmm. to see if they're top producers, to see if they are accessible. Like we do these little kind of tests, right? We tell people, if you want a great realtor, they have to be accessible at all times. It's a good idea to question them on their experience and their their background. And that is what we will do for someone that we're going to refer out. We're going to talk to them, speak to them, do those background checks for them, and then advise them to do their own due diligence as well. And when they finally meet them, they still don't feel comfortable with them. We can search someone else. Maybe that's a better match for them. Right. So Glenn, you mentioned that, you know, you're a top producer and when you're referring people, you're looking to see if that agent you're referring to is a top producer. What is it that makes a realtor a top producer versus not being top producing? Generally, if you're a top producing agent, you're always involved in the business. You're never waiting for somebody to come to you. Right. You should be always doing something to pursue your own business. And we've learned that, that nothing comes easy. You always have to be doing something. And whether it is contacting a previous client just for follow-up, that's the things that we do. We just always keep a constant contact with our previous clients as well, whether it be just a simple newsletter just to let them know what's going on. And it would be things that in that newsletter even that we personally write just so that they know what we're actually up to. And courses are also very, very important, Um, furthering our education just to make sure we're on top of everything and so that we don't become an agent that just is stuck in the past. Exactly. Right. Because we live in an age where, you know, things things are are moving faster and changing faster. Yeah. The way we advertise properties, the way we deliver the even photographs, there's all those 3D tours out there now that. A lot of people are still trying to play with, see how they work. We won't use them on every listing because some homes are not really laid out where you would want to play with it in a dollhouse format. So so we have a lot of technology that we can use to better our clients. I don't too. like any of that. <laughs> <laughs> so now speaking of courses, Glenn, I understand you took a comedy course lately. I took a writing class on writing comedy okay it it was about self-discovery like do your past bring out what was funny in your past whether it was from when you were a kid to today's life and I kind of had to dig deep for those things like when I was growing up so I did some of that and I 
I brought in my real estate business a little bit into that too. So it was a lot of fun. And we did a a five five man show at Yuck Yucks and the place was sold out and it was awesome. So you did a stand up comedy routine? Yes. On real estate. Yep. <laughs> Got any good jokes for us? <laughs> No. <laughs> I, would, I would think a knock-knock no. joke would come be appropriate. Yeah. I, I, I said if there's one thing you can learn as a realtor is if someone invites you to their house that you don't know and you get to the door and I said if you're greeted by five dogs and four cats and a little old lady else from the kitchen, just leave your shoes on. You leave your shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you're sticking to the floor. Otherwise, eh? your feet look like you're the Grinch by the time you're ready to leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Any other last thoughts or comments? Well, I think in today's day and age, people should be actually checking out their real estate agents and looking on Google. I believe in Google reviews because... These are the things that we do too and that are really important for us. I think somebody else's words give a lot of value and get to know what they're like, not just behind their shiny websites, because sometimes, you know, the websites that you see online are not really who they are. You want to get to know who that person is and what they're going to do to help you in your best interests. True. Okay. Angie and Glenn, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.